Last year in 2021, uh, there was a research company that surveyed Americans and uh, Britons regarding their confidence in their ability to defeat various animals in unarmed combat. The study presented respondents with 15 animals and asked this question, which of the following animals, if any, do you think you could beat in a fight if unarmed? Uh, the results were quite fascinating, I believe. All the way on one end of the, I'll say, animal threat spectrum was, was the rat. 68% of American women, 76% of American men expressed confidence in their ability to defeat a rat in unarmed battle. Uh, British, British women were slightly less confident. Uh, British men just about as, as confident as American men. Um, all the way on the other end of the, the animal world were animals like grizzly bears, lions, uh, crocodiles. Astonishing. 8% of American men and close behind, 6% of American women believed they could overcome a crocodile, grizzly bear, lion, even an elephant. We could go on, but what do we learn from a study like this? To me, on the one hand, about 24% of American men and 32% of Britons need a little more confidence in defending their children against rats. More telling, though, about 6 to 8% of Americans are a little, it seems to me, a little overconfident in their ability uh, to defeat a bear or lion unarmed. I highlight this because it reveals the sometimes flaky nature of, of our confidence, of human confidence. Uh, we're sometimes more confident than we ought to be. Sometimes less than we ought to be. When it comes to matters of faith, we're certainly living in a world where confidence and certainty is increasingly vilified. Douglas Sean O'Donnell captures this well. He says, It's a strange day in which we live when doubt is deemed a virtue, skepticism hollowed as humility, and absolute truth viewed as absolutely false. Well, we have come to the end of 1 John, this letter from the Apostle John, and he is writing here at the end, not that we would be confident about all things, but that we would indeed be confident and assured of certain things. Things we need to live our lives after the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to turn our attention to the closing section here of 1 John. It's verses 13 to 21 of chapter 5. Assurance and confidence about certain things. 1 John 5.13, listen now to God's Word. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin that does not lead to death, He shall ask for him, and God will give him life to to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. 
We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God, referring to our Lord Jesus, protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. From the beginning of this letter uh, through to the end, John has woven a, a thread, and it is the thread of assurance. Assurance that Jesus is the Son of God. Assurance of forgiveness and eternal life, our life in the Lord. Assurance that, that as we love one another, a common theme through the letter, that, that as we do this, we are born of God. We know who we are. And the word which John has used to communicate that assurance is the word in English, know. This we know. We know. He uses it no less than seven times in just this passage that we have heard. We know we have eternal life. We know He hears us. We know we're from God. We know the Son of God has come. Verse 13, as as mentioned in times past, really provides a summary statement uh, and the central point, point of the whole letter. So it's really a summary here of everything. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. When John, the same John, the apostle, wrote his gospel, he also stated there his central purpose in writing the gospel. In John 20, verse 30, where John said, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that by believing you may have life. So he wrote his gospel so that people would come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of sinners, the Messiah. But here, his letter is written to those who do believe. Why? So that they would have assurance of their life in the Lord, assurance of eternal life. With all that John has already addressed through this letter, In some ways, it would make sense for this verse to be the concluding verse, the closing words. Verse 13. Yes, I have assurance. I believe and have assurance of eternal life. Amen. But John knows something that is true of every Christian that I'm sure he experienced through his decades of being a follower of Christ, for which every believer needs help. And that is our confidence is shaken at times. Our confidence in who we are in Christ is shaken. God's ways, His providence, His presence are mysterious at times. Even doubtful and questionable at times in our minds. And so John does something very practical. He points us in this Godward direction to remind us who our God is and how our God is at work. And the first thing he stresses is that our God is one who hears us. He hears us. Verse 14, this is the confidence we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know He hears us, 
In whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we've asked of Him. This is the confidence, John says. That could be translated, this is the boldness. I can be confident and bold to approach my God, to speak to my God, the One who made all things, and know He hears me because I have access to God. We have access to God directly through our Lord Jesus. As Hebrews 10 tells us, we can enter the holy places because of the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain. That is His flesh, His crucifixion. So so let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance. We can enter into the most holy place, that is the heavens above where God rules because our Lord Jesus, the great high priest, has cleansed us and made us a holy people by His blood. Confident that He hears us. Amazing. Have you ever had uh, just two people approach you at the same time wanting your attention or, or maybe two children trying to, uh, to speak to you at the same time? You're forced to say, just hang on, just hang on, and then you address one person. We're limited. We can't even hear two people at the same time. God does not have that limitation. He has no problem hearing the requests and the cries, the prayers and the desires of the multitudes of His people. But there's a condition here that we ought to take seriously if God is going to hear us. John says, if, if we ask according to His will. God does not hear prayer if no prayer is offered. He doesn't hear the spiritual heartbeat of His people crying out, seeking after, requesting if none is being offered. Prayer is not just mere mental musings of issues going on in our lives. Everyone does that. It's not just general reflection about the things happening, the circumstances, the difficulties, whatever they may be. It's turning those thoughts, turning those those issues and those, those musings into direction toward God. Words on our lips, words in our minds, crying out to the Lord. And the prayer, John says, is to be according to His will. And that's what our catechism teaches us. Prayer is an offering up of our desires for things agreeable to His will. It would probably be hard to argue that the petition for a new Ferrari is agreeable to His will. But John is doing something more than just teaching us that God hears us. I think he's telling us one of the remedies for a life that is at times shaken or feels insecure, unstable, uncertain about what is coming tomorrow, feelings of anxiety or fear. Ask, and He hears. That is, He's attentive, He's available, He's responsive. Not only ask, but when we do, we know we have the requests that we've asked for. We know we have from God what is for our good. When I am praying to the Lord, when I am seeking Him, I can be confident that what I have is from His will. 
Just a couple days ago, uh, Shelley and I were reflecting on uh, pastoral letters from Robert Murray McShane, 19th century uh, minister. I've mentioned him uh, before. Pastored for a short number of years, died in his late 20s. While he was away from his flock because of illness, I believe, for a period of time, he wrote letters to them. And one of them was centered on prayer. And he makes a couple points about prayer. One, God often gives the very things his children ask at the very time they ask it. He says, remember Hannah. She prayed in her heart for a child. The Lord remembered her and granted her petition that she had asked of him. Two, God often delays the answer to prayer for wise reasons. He mentions the case of the Syrophoenician woman. How anxiously she cried, Have mercy on me, O Lord. But Jesus answered not a word. Again and again she prayed, got no gracious answer. Her faith grew stronger by every refusal till Jesus refused no longer. O woman, great is your faith. Be it unto thee, even as you will. And three, God often answers your prayers by giving something better than you ask. An affectionate father often does this. The child says, Father, give me fruit. No, my child, here is bread, which is better for you. Paul, he mentions, felt that thorn in his flesh. With all his heart, he cried out, Lord, let this depart from me. Three times he prayed. What was the answer? My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Dear praying believers, be of good cheer. God will either give what you ask or something far better. Why does fear or anxiety or uncertainty surface? It seems to me that worry is the result of seeking stability in that which cannot provide it. We all want security in life. Financially, physically, emotionally, occupationally. But to seek for ultimate Security in a job, in a retirement, in a relationship is to seek for security in that which cannot ultimately provide it. Nothing guarantees I have tomorrow that my job will be there, that my friend or spouse won't disappoint. Think of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6 about worry. Don't worry about tomorrow, He says, or clothes or food or work. The pagans worry about these things. And then what is Jesus' remedy? for a worry-free life or a worried life. Don't run after these things. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's certainly nothing less than a life of prayer, of seeking after the Lord. When we're giving ourselves daily and hourly to the Lord, we're leaning on that which does not give way. David Pallison, in commenting on these words, seek His kingdom says, God is saying, don't live for the one thing everybody else lives for. I'm going to give you something better. And along the way, I will take care of you. And that's the practical power of prayer and seeking God's presence. As we do, we grow in confidence that He's hearing us, that He's attentive to us, He's responding for our good, that we're in His will. And it dispels worry. What's further amazing about prayer that John mentions is that God not only hears and responds to us when we petition in regards to ourselves, 
but when we pray and petition for one another. And that's what you have in verses 16 to 17. John says, if one sees his brother committing sin that does not lead to death, he shall ask for him and God will give him life. Here, life and death are not only present spiritual realities, but future destinies. Prayer for the true believer who is struggling with sin by God's grace is cleansed and forgiven and delivered from eternal death. We pray for one another as we struggle. God hears and and helps. But then John says there is sin that leads to death. And I don't say that one should pray for that. This sin is likely a description of the kind of person John has cautioned about throughout the letter. The person who is not loving his brother or sister in Christ. This professing believer. The person who rejects Christ as the Son of God and is of the spirit of Antichrist earlier in the letter. In other words, this is a person absent of true saving faith. And John is saying, I'm not saying to pray for the sin of the unregenerate. You can pray all you want for the sins of the unregenerate, but what they actually need prayer for is repentance and a turning to faith in Jesus Christ. And certainly John is not opposed to praying for that. So John calls us to have assurance and confidence in our God. He hears us. But there's something else we should have assurance of, and that is God's protection in our life. His protective hand in our life. Verse 18, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God, Jesus Christ, protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. It's not as if we have an invisible shield around us in which we suffer no pain, emotionally, physically, mentally. I've mentioned Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 with the thorn that was given to him, a messenger of Satan. We think of Job who suffered tremendously the loss of loved ones, physical suffering by the evil one on his body. But no one Not even the evil one can hinder or take away our saving grace in Jesus Christ. No one can take God's ever-present hand of providence and sovereign power from us. Nothing can separate us, Paul says, from the love of God in Jesus Christ. William Cooper may be a familiar name to some or many of us. The English hymn writer, a friend, associate of John Newton. He lived from 1731 to 1800, uh, contributed a a number of hymns in our Trinity uh, hymn hymn book we have recorded. Uh, Oh, for a closer walk with God. Uh, There is a fountain filled with blood. But he struggled greatly with depression. In fact, he sought to take his life on three different occasions. It might be easy to conclude he was simply a troubled soul, but you dig deeper and you discover a man with a tremendous testimony that nothing can snatch us from the hand of God. One of his hymns, which 
speaks of this, which we'll, we'll sing at the close of our service, is God moves in a mysterious way. Listen to these words. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. God moves in a mysterious way, His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Think about those words. He plants His footsteps in the sea. Well, we can't see His footsteps in the sea. We might say we want to see His footsteps, but we can't. Yet His footsteps, His presence, His mysterious hand of providence is there. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. The the doctrine of God's sovereignty does not make us immune to feelings of uncertainty or instability. But when we believe it deeply, it helps us to be able to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Everyone desires life. The preservation of life, the fullness of life. I read this past week in an article regarding U.S. states with the longest average lifespan. Number one, Hawaii. I thought to myself, of course, people are just lounging on the beach all day, just relaxing. (laughs) Number two did surprise me, Washington State, my home state. It's gray so often there. People get down. Then then it mentioned Minnesota. Then it moved to the New England states. I was getting excited. New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and then it cut off. So... (laughs) Why Connecticut didn't make it, I'm not sure. But throughout this letter, and here even in the close, the Apostle John speaks of a life that goes well beyond 60, 70, 80 years. This is a life that has no end. This is a life that is eternal. This is a life forever with the Lord. And God's protection and hand of providence and saving grace is a sure thing. He hears us. He guards and protects us. And then finally, he speaks of having assurance of uh, his gift of grace, the gift of understanding. In verse 20, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. The Lord Jesus came. He came in his incarnation to live a holy and sinless life for us, to offer himself as a sacrifice on the cross, to cleanse us from sin, And He has come to give us understanding, to give us a new mind, to be born again with a new heart, to love Him, a new mind to know Him. It's not that we didn't have a mind before, but the mind was totally fallen and broken, unable to know and to believe in the Lord. Like a wristwatch in a hundred pieces The faculties were there, but they were in pieces, dysfunctional, oriented towards sin and self. God has redeemed, restored. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're folly to him. He is not able to understand them. But then he says, for who has understood the mind of the Lord? We have the mind of Christ. There are many things in this life and world which our Lord does not give us assurance. Health. Political stability. Physical safety. Economic security. Peaceful relationships. Or even tomorrow. Not that we shouldn't pray for these things. But we should not bank our lives or our flourishing or our peace or joy in these things but in the things that He's promised. That He hears us. He longs to be with us in fellowship. That He protects and guards us by His providential hand. And He's given us a mind to know Him. That every part of our life, every moment of our life would be lived, as they say, Coram Deo, in the presence of God. Let's pray together. Lord, how we thank You for each of the books that make up Your precious Word. We pray, O Lord, that You would seal this Word, this book upon our hearts. O Lord, that we might grow in fellowship, that we would have a closer walk with You. We praise You for the assurances that You have given to us. You have opened our minds and heart to rest upon Your saving and sovereign grace. Sanctify us and mature us in the way that only You can do by the working of Your Spirit in us. Encourage our hearts, O Lord, where we are discouraged or downcast. Lift up our spirits. Convict us, Lord, where we may be complacent. Where we need to fix our eyes more steadily upon Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lead us, Lord, in in all ways as our Savior and our King. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.